Hello and welcome to the Love Lisa podcast, where we talk about all things spiritual and self-help. Okay, well, welcome back this to this week's episode where we have a really, really special guest, uh, Melissa Toomey. She is uh, a psychologist. Yeah. Psychologist? I have a master's in counseling psychology, but I'm technically a registered clinical counselor in BC. Okay. Okay, cool. Well, we kind of met a couple years ago. Uh, I guess it was a couple years ago now, but it, we saw each other for a year, but I actually went um, to Melissa for therapy and actually um, she provided me with a lot of support and help through um, a lot of the things that I didn't even know were a problem. Um, a lot of the things that I'm still learning about myself. So, um, yeah, here's Melissa. I'd just like give yourself a little introduction. Sure. Where you come from. Yeah. Well, as Lisa said, uh, my name is Melissa Toomey. Um, I kind of hold uh, a couple titles and hats in the community. Um, I work for Mamas for Mamas. So I am the National Director of Mental Health and Wellness for Mamas for Mamas. Um, and in that, I have a client caseload that I work with specifically trauma and help to train the new the new ones coming in. So working with students and, and research projects with the universities and uh, running groups and supervising the clinicians under me. And on the side, I run a private practice, uh, which is where I met Lisa and able to work specifically with the trauma clients in there as well. Cool. Because I, I know before when I was kind of looking into to getting therapy. I'd always done like talk therapy for years, um, which is great. It helped me get a lot of self-awareness, but I didn't even know what kind of therapy you even provided. I saw like, uh, I think there's like an acronym for, for what it is. Yeah. And I just kind of picked you off a list and it ended up being like exactly what I needed, but yeah. yeah if you want to explain like how sure. you is sort of different. Yeah. Yeah. The universe obviously brought us together. So mm-hmm. Um, if you look into me, you're going to see SRT. That's, that's the acronyms. Yeah. So it stands for self-regulation therapy. So, um, I actually under, study under the Canadian Foundation for Trauma Research and Education. And this is a modality designed by Dr. Zettel and Dr. Josephs. Um, and it's right. Self-regulation therapy is really learning how to regulate your nervous system or your body's responses to stress. So I had gone into my schooling originally and done the undergrad and and masters kind of with the the goal or the intention in mind of going, what, what happens in people's brains that makes them do what they do? Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of, and left my masters, not really feeling clear on that. And, um, for one of the first agencies I worked with, so I've always worked in charity. It's always been a huge component of, of my career and my goals and what I wanted to do in life. Um, it was the a trauma-informed center. So it was the Elizabeth Fry Society, um, an amazing resource in our community for uh, domestic abuse, but specifically sexual assault. Yeah. And part of the qualifications for working there was having specific trauma training. And luckily enough, the supervisor on at the time had taken all this and had really been working with the Canadian Foundation for Trauma Research and Education and really strongly suggested that I take this. And it was so nerve wracking going back. And it's, it's so intense because you walk in there. And as Lisa had mentioned that it's talk therapy is, is what we do. And that has been the modality and, and kind of what has been used for years. But trauma has really transformed and, and so much has come out in the last five to 10 years. So walking into this, this school and this training, 
it was basically take everything you know and throw it out the window. Yeah. Which is like, oh, spent all these years and it's, you know, you get comfortable in this. And then the things that they're telling you, it's like, no, no, you know, kind of resistant as humans. We don't like change. We feel practiced in this. But the more I got into it and, and researching and, and looking at Dr. Zettel and Joseph's work and, you know, the the main guys in, in trauma, Gabor Matei, um, Perry, you know, all these, these forefront amazing psychologists, you start to learn that trauma isn't actually in the brain, which is kind of a misconception. It's held in your body. So yeah. why are we trying to work with the, the prefrontal cortex, that, that front part of your brain that's that logical thinking part, when that's not actually where the trauma is? And it's self-regulation therapy is really about working with that reptilian brain or the, the trauma mm-hmm. response brain that's kind of at the back of your skull there, where those fight, flight, freeze responses come from. And this is where our trauma responses, our stress responses, anxieties, whatever you feel most comfortable labeling come from. So this modality is all about working with your nervous system and kind of titrating and resourcing and, and sending those messages to that reptilian brain that you have survived and and how do you regulate through it? How do you manage your, your trauma responses? So it's it's a really different take. And of course there is talk therapy and, and behavioral and, and challenging those thoughts. It's, you know, I really use a lot of different modalities, but this I really feel makes an impact because it's not just changing your thinking. Cause I really believe if people could do better, they would. So if they could just think differently and act differently, they would, but there's more to it, yeah. right? It seems so simple. Just, you know, Absolutely. you're, you know, it doesn't feel good yeah. to stop doing it. No problem, right? Yeah. But where are these responses coming from? And that's really what this therapy works on is where, where are these coming from? And a lot of the times when we are in hypervigilance, which we can get into more, you are these, these decisions or the things that you're doing, these actions, behaviors have already been decided two seconds before you have cognitive thought. So how mm-hmm. can you cognitively think your way out of something that you're not actually in control over? That you're not controlling. Yeah. Well, I, and I just, everything, it just makes so much sense as somebody that's gone through a lot of my life living in like fight or flight mode, constantly being on, unaware that I didn't even, I used to feel too when an emotional reaction would happen that I wasn't in control. And, and a lot of what you hear reflected back at you from the outside world is like, obviously you can control that. You could not be so dramatic. You have these like um, signals to you that what you are doing is wrong when, like you just said, it's something that is probably decided in your body, you know, like you said, to how many seconds before your brain can even react. So exactly. it's so interesting that if we can get to the front of it, where it's actually happening, how you yes. can avoid all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And you can really see what you just described and, and how trauma is. And I think that there's such a stereotype of the word trauma, um, but how that's perpetuated, yeah. right? Cause what you described is that, that judgment, shame, criticism, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So it's really just perpetuating those messages that were sent to you, which has caused the trauma originally. So it's just reinforcing it yeah. and, and making you shut down more and become more isolated and potentially using more unhealthy coping mechanisms because of the response that you're getting from society, because there really isn't an understanding of the responses and trauma and how it is so prevalent in our society. And it, mm-hmm. it is truly perpetuated. You're rewarded for being busy. You're rewarded for, you know, the go, 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 and, and not slowing down yeah, and then yeah. not talking about your accomplishments, right? Like we, our society really reinforces kind of the opposite of what we need as humans. So it's this weird place. Yeah. But yeah. it's this weird place to be in. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I was just thinking too, like, so in, in how you're kind of describing this, we'll get more into, cause I really want to understand in like the simplest sort of way, how the nervous systems form, but just based on what you just said, is it fair to say that, um, that you're, 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 oh man, I lost it. Um, <laughs> it was there, your body. All right, here we go. <laughs> you're left. What were we saying? The body. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just we'll just go straight into you kind of give like a maybe a little example on how the nervous system is formed, like within. I know you've talked about it being in the womb, like all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and then I'm sure my question will come back. <laughs> okay. So I think what kind of what you're wanting me to go to, cause you've had to listen to so many of my spiels is when we're looking at the, the formation of the central nervous system, but particularly mm-hmm. that reticular activating system or your amygdala, yeah. your stress regulating systems and how that comes online in second trimester of pregnancy mm-hmm. and the impact that can have on a baby in utero, but after. And this, this is looking at the formation of it. So trauma can start that early. And I want to kind of challenge this, this stereotype, this idea of what the word trauma is and that it doesn't have to be these big events, right? And I think that's been kind of the thought for so many years. It's car accident, it's war, it's these big things. When really trauma, it, it encompasses so many different things. We're looking at relational trauma, developmental trauma, anything that you can't control and puts your, your system into a response is going to be considered trauma. And to clarify that it's your own personal perception of the event, right? It's so everyone's nervous system perceives things differently. So, you know, looking at different situations and look, look, let's look at one of the common traumas. So say Lisa and I are in a car accident together. I end up with PTSD. Mm -hmm. She comes out just fine, right? Same car accident, same event. Nothing is different. What the difference is, is how our nervous systems perceived that event. And so kind of how we start looking at it and, and people's, container and nervous systems as we do start back at, at infancy or in year to row, because if mom is really stressed, she has high anxiety mm-hmm. or high activation. That's one of my favorite words you'll hear throughout is a, a nervous system that is, that's, you know, higher, that's a little fog activated. Yeah. It's anxiety. It's, it's sensations in your body. It's discomfort. So if mom has that going on, she has those stress hormones pumping into her system, those adrenals, the cortisols, and, and, you know, that's going into baby. So baby is not necessarily going to come out at baseline, right? The, the theory is we start with a container and this is kind of used. And I use the words container because a lot of therapies use the word cup. You can't, can't fill from an empty cup and you need to have these. So the container is kind of your nervous system. If we look at a visual and if you have stress hormones and mom's really stressed and that's going into baby, well, some of that stuff, that bottom of that container is already filled. And mm-hmm. then you look at, say there's a traumatic birth. Right, that's going to put even more in the container. And this just recently happened to my my brother and sister in law. Um, you know, there was some pretty traumatic things that happened during pregnancy, out of their control. You know, something that's just you know, these things just happen, and unfortunately, right, and it's nothing they did. Um, and then birth was very traumatic. Right, probably should have been taken into emergency C section, but really, you know, just didn't go as planned. It wasn't very good. And poor little baby is just so dysregulated. You can see it and he can't sleep. He's, he's all braced, right? So the muscles are ready to go into fight or flight. Can't sleep soundly. Any little thing, he's awake and constantly needing to be soothed, right? So these are typically yeah, called wow. colicky babies, right? That's the term is, oh, they're yeah. colicky. Yes. They're colicky. Thank you. Right? But yes. no, it's, it's, that, yes. this is the, the I, I was, term for it. Sorry, I was just... Yeah. 
I know. I think about this all the time. I'm like, what is colic? It has to be. I've just been having this conversation. I'm so glad you brought that up. It has to be something that is, yeah, within like a nervous system thing, something. Because yes. why is there this term? And Exactly. Yes. Okay. Right. So it's a dysregulated nervous system. Cool. Right. So baby didn't come out at baseline. Yes. They came out and as, as children, they don't have the brain isn't formed, right? They don't have the thought process that everything that we as adults have, or even older children have, right? They're not able to cognitively put these things together. So at the, the, the ground of it all, we're all mammals. So they really rely on their senses. So they're coming out into this world, right? And it's, it's been traumatic. So they're already in this almost hypervigilant state coming out. Yeah. Right. And they're always their system, their brain's kind of going, you can't relax. I need to keep you alive. So it keeps them awake yeah. so that they can constantly be watching for threat. Right? And the threat is not necessarily external. I mean, it can be if we we're not going to get into it, all the scenarios, but there can be abuse and whatever else. But yeah. it's going to be internal because the system's going, what's wrong? What's wrong? Right. And, and with colicky yeah. baby comes tired, stressed out mom. Right. If you're tired, you can't regulate. So, you know, moms who don't have colicky babies are already struggling to regulate, let alone a colicky baby. You've gone through trauma yourself, but potentially birth is kind of the scenario we're using for this situation. Right. So baby's trying to use mom's nervous system to mirror off of and, and learn to regulate and just can't. Right. So, you know, it's looking at the, the parental impact of the nervous system on baby and, and how that interacts and creates that dysregulated nervous system. And they have no ways to self-soothe. So what do they do? They cry because they're uncomfortable. It's like imagining having as an adult to put this into context is like us having anxiety all the time. We understand yeah. it. It's uncomfortable. And we do things to work with it and or sit with it or unhealthy coping mechanisms. Baby's got nothing. So they cry. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely even experienced it. Just, you know, you get an overtired baby and I'll see it in, in, in Donovan's face where they'll close and then they'll open. Like his eyes will like close, like he wants to sleep and then they dart open. And I, I know exactly then that his like little, little container is a little too full and he can't like, yeah, he can't fully surrender. Um, yes. but it's really cool. We can, we can teach people this kind of stuff because then um, they know what to look for and they know that like nothing's wrong with them yeah. and nothing's wrong with the baby. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. It's, yeah. Big picture structurally, yeah. physically, it's just yeah. a nervous system response. It's a stress response, right? And it's, yeah. it's recognizing that and being able to take that breath and, and come down and provide them that yeah. calm nervous system to regulate off of. And, and this is not to say that yeah. this has happened. Your baby screwed up. No. It means that we're bringing awareness yes. to these things so that you can start to regulate your system. So baby learns those, those regulating skills and, and can learn to self-soothe. And, and, you know, the more time you spend and provide that calm nervous system and, you know, introduce them to new things and bring those stress responses, but they can always come back to mom or, or their caregiver, whoever that might be yes. for that attunement and that calm nervous system, you start to repair, right? And you, and you can see the repair work and their, how their system starts to calm because they know they have that, but it just takes some time. Definitely. Uh, it's I've really been learning a lot about even more in depth about my nervous system just with having a baby because they, they, they do something when they're screaming to your nervous system. Right. And so, yeah. um, having to learn how to cope through those moments, it's been, it's been quite, um, quite opening. Um, but I was gonna, you said something earlier about how trauma to like, I think this is such an important thing to touch on is that trauma is so relative. Like, Sometimes I think about my life and I'm like, oh, you know, it really wasn't that bad. Why am I so traumatized? Like, you know, you have these thoughts of just being like, you know, 
why am I so hurt by that? But like you said, it's a lot to do with um, how it felt on your nervous yeah. system at the time and what your yes. baseline started out at. Exactly. Yeah. And your nervous service, nervous system's perspective and, yes. um, and how your how the household is. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's so many things to consider with it. And I think that as humans, we're really good at, oh, well, we don't have it as bad. Right? And very much dismissing your experience. It doesn't yeah. matter that somebody else has it better or, or worse. It's, it's not about that. It's about how you perceive that event and your experience of yeah. it. And there's so many things that contribute, contribute to it, right? It's not just necessarily trauma or traumatic birth or, or parents having higher anxiety. We're looking at multi-generational trauma. We're looking at society or parents not being not knowing the skills or the tools to pass down to their kids not recognizing these cues and this is where where trauma can come from and and why mm -hmm. i really like to challenge the uh, the word of what trauma means because it's not just events sometimes it's prolonged events yeah. and these prolonged events can be completely you know it's not the, the intention right and, and kind of how you said i didn't have it that bad and like, yeah. what's wrong with me like my parents are here or there we don't need to get into like personal details but you know you do look at it yeah. it's like you know have the house and all these type of things like your basic yeah. needs were met but that's not necessarily enough and you know you're looking at parents that are single mamas or are fighting or don't know how to deal with their emotions or get uncomfortable with emotions or are not able to be attuned because their anxiety is very high so there's so many things that can impact and this is what we look at relational and developmental trauma is things in development of babies and, and children and adolescents and even into adulthood, right? Because our brain really isn't formed into our, our mid 20s um, for men. And it's a little bit longer than that. But that's a long time. And, and it's every all the people yeah. in the world that influence that, right? So it might just not be parents. It could be authority figures like teachers in yeah. life that really impact it. So trauma can be from misattunement, from unintentional neglect, high anxiety, um, parents having to work all the time, not having, you know, constant caregivers and those nervous systems to regulate off of because our society has really changed, right? If we kind of look back in time, we had communities and, and homesteads or tribes or whatever that might be. And it took so many people to raise the kids and cook and clean and keep everything going. And everyone kind of had their roles and everyone village. together. Yeah, yeah, we had our village, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, another tangent, how we started, you know, the agency that I work for is it takes a village to raise a child. But our society doesn't really, you know, encourage that. Let's do it alone. And if you're not, somehow you're weak and don't ask no. for help. You're doing it wrong and all these type of things. Oh, but this, no, yeah. this is contributes to that that potential trauma piece because you're only one person and you're mm -hmm. not expected. You can't be expected to be able to do it all. But that's what is kind of the messaging that's told to us. So that judgment, shame, criticism comes in again. Dealing with our own things, not sleeping, maybe not meeting our basic human needs because baby was up all night. There's so many things that contribute to it. And almost unintentional, and let's be, well, everything's unintentional. No parent is really, truly trying to traumatize their child, no matter what issues they have, whether you're dealing with addiction or domestic abuse or whatever these might be. I don't believe that that's anyone's ever intention is, is to truly traumatize their child. No. So there's so many unintentional things. But if you look at all these little events and we don't have the tools to recognize when repair work can be done, because there is the thing is that we are all humans and we can have all the education in the world and, and know these things but we're still going to have reactions. We're still going to have emotional reactions. We're still going to get oh, mad. Yeah. We're still going to do unintentional shame, but it's about the repair work. And that's also something that's not taught to us, right? So this isn't to say it's all doom and gloom. You screwed up your kids. No, there's repair work that can be done. There's so many things, but these tools just aren't taught to us.
Oh, absolutely. I know even with, you know, Donovan being as young as he is, you know, there's a time in the car where he was just losing it and I lost it, you know, yeah. because it just in that moment. And then I'm yelling at him and like, he's screaming. And it was like the craziest thing because in your head, you don't even want to be doing it, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, um, the person that's even having the reaction, they don't want to necessarily have that reaction. No. But, um, afterwards I pulled him out and we, I was just tugging him and I was explaining, I mean, he's so young, but I was explaining yeah. to him that I had a very big emotional reaction and yeah. sometimes mommy's emotions are really big too. And yeah, I don't know, you know, you can, I can start. But the that's repair the repair work, work you know? right? Is acknowledging yeah. that we're human and that, you know, yeah. there is such thing as healthy shame and there mm -hmm. is such thing as being dysregulated and having emotions, but it's not hiding yeah. it from your children. Right. Cause it's, it's yeah. normal to have emotions. We need to have emotions. We're humans. We can't contain it. Cause look what happens when we do not great things. Not good right? things. And that perpetuates that trauma and builds up that container, but it's healthy to show kids feelings and it's okay to have feelings, but it's about coming and doing that repair work because children are so little, their world is focused around them. They don't have that cognitive brain to go, mom's having a bad day or it's this. Yes. They take it on and believe that they have done something wrong. So that's why that repair work is so important and exactly what you just did, even though he's so tiny and doesn't cognitively understand it, yeah. there was the big feels, but then you guys were able to come back. He's able to connect, feel that nervous yeah. system, feel that love and that attunement and have that from you. So you were able to repair, you know, that, that stress response that came. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was, yeah, it happened. Um, and yeah, just that, that repair. I'm, I'm certain even if he doesn't understand what I'm saying, like you said, that attunement of just holding and talking softly. And, exactly. Um, I, uh, I, I was thinking, like you said something too about, um, yeah, generational trauma. I find that very, very fascinating as well. Cause, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that, uh, you know, our parents, um, you know, or whoever in that gener, you know, different generations got it from the generation before, from the generation before, you know, um, they say, like I've heard many times before that it takes seven generations for a certain type of like familial trauma, like trauma, like addiction uh, and stuff like that to, to leave the, leave the family. Um, do, do you uh, relate well, with that? Well, I, I think that that can be subjective because they actually have found in our DNA that there is, there is trauma. They can find that kind of trauma gene. Um, and I yeah. think that's what they refer to when they say the seven years is, is that okay. it does travel on. Um, but I do believe that as humans, we can work on that multi-generational trauma and start to break those procedures. Cause at the end of the day, trauma is procedure. And, you know, we can kind of go back and, and say, we look at the, this generation is where grandparents potentially were in the war, right? You're hypervigilant, yes. you're high activation, right? You're, you're living in fight or flight because you're literally in a war zone, right? And we can almost compare that to the pandemic we just went through this uncontrolled fear, right? Like this, this it's called global activation where it's, it's globally activating, right? It's, it's kind of coming at you and there's, there's nothing out there that you can do about it. Right. So they're in this hypervigilant fight, flight, free states that they stay in. So they don't really have room for the emotion. They don't have those calm nervous systems to regulate off of. It's kids have to be seen, not heard a lot of the time, or they're in hiding or quiet or not having their basic human needs met because they're unable to get the supplies, the food and, and the water that they need, or they can't afford it. And there's poverty and there's, there's so many different levels of poverty that can come with that, but you're looking at what you're missing out on and how that nervous system can never regulate. 
right? So those behaviors are going to be passed on to the next generation. We're not looking at living in a war-torn country anymore, but the responses are still going to be the same. It's still going to be no, you know, not knowing those regulation skills because they were never taught to you. It's, you know, going to be the behaviors. A lot of it, what you see is emotions. You kind of don't have time for emotions, right? You're weak or you don't have this, right? It's about put your head down, keep going and dissociate. That's what we used to do. We used to have to get up and, you know, fight to survive all day long and sleep and and you do it again, right? So as you can see, even though we're not in those war-torn times anymore, a lot of these behaviors still continue through the multi-generation. Doesn't, and most of the time, not healthy, right? There's definitely some great things that can come out of like, you know, working hard and all these things. There's so many positives. There's also the negatives too that come with it. Well, and I was thinking, you just said, I'd like you to explain a little bit more to how like, kind of break it down. Like you said, trauma is procedure. So trauma is, um, you know, it gets activated, you react. Like what's the, what's the formula? What do you mean um, by procedure? So basically trauma is held in our body. And when we experience something, our brain grabs onto it and tries to make sense of it. right. Whether it's right or not. So it's taking this experience and, and what you do is you kind of do the same thing over and over again. And that's what I mean by trauma as a procedure, as you have the response and the same behavior happens, because what happens is we kind of create this pathway in our brain and our brains always work Mm -hmm. in peak capacity, not because we're lazy. It's just, there's so much going on. It's such a busy thing that it has to work at peak capacity. So it just does things automatically. So that's how trauma becomes that procedure. And that pathway becomes so well ingrained and you feel that experience, you feel that response, you have that memory, whatever that might be. And you just jump on that pathway, right? And it just goes over and over and over again. And a lot of the time it's very unconscious. And when I'm working with clients who've experienced procedure, sometimes it's as simple as just breaking it. Maybe it's turning your head a different way just to start because that even in itself can be activating because it's different. But anytime you make a break to procedure, you're starting to rewire that pathway, but it really takes time because it takes energy, right? So if we kind of look at the analogy of a hiking trail, you're really tired. You didn't sleep properly last night and you're having to go for this hike. Are you going to choose the hiking trail? That's been well-worn. There's no rocks. There's no sticks. There's no hills. It's smooth. You can just walk and not even think about it. Or are you going to go on the other side where you kind of have to create your own path? There's a, there's a bit of an entrance that's been created. So you know that you can go that way, but there's sticks and rocks and branches and all these things. And you have to clear the way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're going to choose the well-worn path. And that's why trauma becomes procedure. And you just automatically do it because the brain works at peak capacity and a lot of it's unconscious. And it also is going to keep you there is because as humans, we don't like change or anything different. So if there's something different in your system, whether that's a different response, a procedural change, it becomes activating and this, the nervous system starts to go, what's going on? Right. So not, you have to not only have the capacity to take the harder path, but be able to sit with the discomfort that comes up from any little change, which is why we'll do something as simple as turning your head a different way because it's different to the procedure. It's starting to break it. And the activation that comes is a little bit manageable and it's very slow and steady kind of taking it, breaking it down and slicing it smaller until it feels manageable and really dipping into that activation and titrating it to resource. And what I mean by resource is grounding the body, getting out of the body, making it feel better, kind of a distraction to the stress response that's happening. So the brain can start to go, oh, this happened. You're okay. Right? And he kind of looks around. No, I'm not okay. And goes back into the stress response. But it's that that break in the procedure there that you start to rewire. Yeah. I, I know because a lot for me, um, like when in our work that we we did together, I know for me, like I didn't even feel my legs. Like I didn't realize that I hadn't been feeling 
um, my legs for so many years, just because there probably had been so much trauma stored in there. And the first few times that we tried to, to feel my legs, I remember getting such a physiological reaction of like full body, like adrenaline and rushes. Cause it was so, so unsafe to be in there. So, yes. um, yeah, like overwhelming to the system, right? That because a lot of yeah. all the time when there's so much sensation or emotion or experiences or a physiological response, our brain kind of starts to go, okay, this is too much. I need to protect you. Yeah. Then it goes into dissociation and releases those natural opioids to kind of numb it so that the brain's like, okay, it, you can still function. And this is well, most people can function through dissociation. I didn't realize they're in dissociation, but the brain has kind of yeah. cut off that connection to it. So, you know, functionally, you're still going to work but you're truly not attuned to that piece of your body. And as you described, when you started to dip into your legs again, how the nervous system was like, it's right. And how activating it was, you described that adrenal response of moving into that panic and flight, fright, freeze coming on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and is there like, I mean, I don't think this is, you could say this for everybody, but um, do you often find that certain let's just say themes of trauma are stored different places within the body. Like, do you ever notice anything that's like kind of consistent within people or is it just kind of like all over? Um, it's, it's for many different traumas, it's all over. But if you're looking at like common symptomology, I would say that that neck, shoulder, upper back response, because our muscles kind of go into brace. So they lock wow. up, right? If we think about moving into yeah. like freeze, right? The eyes open up, the ears open up, heart goes faster, digestion shuts down and your muscles tense up. So you can get ready to fight or flight. So as humans, Mm -hmm. and it's actually interesting, we are the only mammals that can stay in a trauma response. All other mammals would die if they stayed in a trauma response. So we stay in that. Yeah. So we stay in that trauma response and we don't know how to come down from it. We don't know how to kind of stop it. Right? So our body goes into fight, fight, freeze. Everything comes on. All the systems are a go. And then the trauma's over, but we don't really know how to come down from that. We don't know how to shut it off. And yeah. most people will stay in that response. And this is where, you know, things like PTSD and, and things like that are formed is because mm-hmm. we're staying in that response. So what happens is our muscles stay locked because even though logically we know that the threat is over, that hindbrain doesn't because it yeah, wasn't yeah. really shut off. So when it goes into it, kind of your prefrontal cortex shuts down and all this energy is put back here to keep you alive. You need that energy back there to decide, fight, flight, freeze, what's going to be the best case scenario. What happens when you're in that is it's kind of a dissociative state. So you're not able to form memory, which is why you see a lot of people who've experienced trauma, they don't remember it oh, or there's yeah. big pieces because they can't actually form memory because everything is kind of back here in, the, in that hindbrain area trying to keep you alive. So when you're forming memories, the hippocampus, you feel the experience, the hippocampus comes on. It's like, does that, that the hippocampus sends it to the amygdala. So you feel, you feel the experience, you form the memory. And then when it's over, it sends the hippocampus, sends those messages, shut it off, experience over memory formed. You're unable to do that during trauma. So you kind of go into this dissociative state during trauma because you need all that energy back here to keep you alive. So if you think about staying in a trauma state, your memory's not going to be the same your cognitive function, your organizational skills, none of that's going to be quite the same and you're going to have trouble forming memories. What can break through that dissociative haze is is sensory type things. So if you think about traumas, you hear people, you know, they're triggered by a song or, you know, potentially alcohol or cigarette smoke on someone's breath or on their body, right? It's triggering and they don't know why, but their body's reacting because the body remembers it just if the mind doesn't. There's actually this really cool story. Well, I think cool is subjective, but, um, 
there's this story of a, this little boy and something happened to him when he was three years old. Doesn't remember it, didn't, had no recollection. As an adult driving back, and I think it was driving into Seattle, all of a sudden he moved into a full trauma response and couldn't figure out why. His parents ended up saying something happened to you at this space at, at three years old. So he had no memory of it, but the body remembers. So kind of this tangent was about your question was, what is the common symptomology you see? is those tight muscles, you're getting tension, headaches, migraines, back pain, mm -hmm. all of that up there because those muscles are braced, ready to fight or flight. The core area stays braced because it's really trying to protect those organs, right? We can live without our limbs, but we can't live without our organs. So a yeah. lot of tightness in the core area. Um, on top of our society is always like, suck it in, make it look good, right? There's the vanity pieces as well that go with that. So you can see a lot of tight muscles yeah. and a lot of people will experience the tight chest, yeah. which is a really common one. Um, but your tummy, right? Your tummy and your brain are so connected. There's that ventral vagal yeah. that connects right into the stomach. And a lot of people experience that anxiety in their stomach. So I would say those are the more common experiences are those, those tight muscles, the, the chest and the tummy. Okay. And, and for, as far as like, um, I'm thinking too, like, I know there's a lot of people out there, um, that, and then me and you know, I live my little life and I can mostly, you know, regulate and stay pretty good on my daily basis. But around certain people, um, all their activation, there's protection, there's when is my threat coming in those type of situations, just for like better understanding of what's going on within, you know, yourself, is it that there is still trauma stored and that's where the reaction coming from? Or is it just like familiarity to an environment that wasn't safe? So it could be, it I could mean. be, a, it could, yeah, it could be so a few different things. So going into an environment that potentially wasn't safe, that tells me that you're probably around people with higher activated nervous systems, right? Cause if there was threat from it, either something happened, stressful events, you know, whatever that might be. So we're looking at potentially your nervous system picking up on someone else's nervous system that's highly activated, and that's going to be interpreted as threat, right? So instantly it's going to go, what's going on here? Because it's like, why are these people up here? What are they worried about? Right? So it, it starts to look around. It can also be the body, as you say, going into that and kind of knowing, right? Say we're thinking of someone's childhood home, right? To use as an example, they might feel uncomfortable going there, not really knowing why. Well, something might've happened. Right. And who knows yeah. what it was intentional, unintentional, whatever it might be, but yes. So body remembering it from unsafe environments, picking up on other nervous systems around it. Yeah. And it just might be the social aspect, right? There, there's so much anxiety with social for a lot of people. And, and particularly now, you know, coming out of a pandemic that we did, we were isolated for so long. We almost kind of have to build up our meter again to, to be around people so, and, and socialize. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and there is another topic that we'll jump to, but just right before we go into there, just, I didn't know if you had any, um, any advice that you wanted to share with people of just little tips to regulate in a stressful event. Um, like you, I know you said like turning the head the other way can change. Um, but just any, like, if you had a quick tip that you wanted to give anybody about how to, yeah. how to regulate, um. What, what well, I think mean? that the main, the main thing to start with is if you have experienced a traumatic event and you move into that fight, flight, freeze response, or you feel that adrenaline come and these responses can come from anything uncontrolled. So medical, dental, um, surgeries, mm. falls, anything that that might be is when you are able to kind of taking it in that moment that you survived. Right? And that's that piece that I was mm. talking about is that 
humans don't know how, right? We stay in that hypervigilant state because we don't know how to come down from that trauma response. Taking in that you survived and come down and, and allowing your body to go, oh, like I am here, I am present, I am alive, because that's kind of the premise that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a brain that's very black and white, safe, unsafe, dead, alive. So you're un- either you're safe or you're unsafe. So if you're able to kind of come down in that moment after, like let's use car accident, for example, you know, say it's it's not too bad. We're, we're using like a rear ender. We're not going to yeah. get into big ones, but you come out, you got on, you kind of touch the road, kind of taking that moment to just go, I survived. Noticing oh, your feet on the ground that you're actually, you're okay. You, ha- you haven't died, okay. right? And when I say the word survived, I mean dying. Because a lot of people will go, yeah, I've survived, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not surviving. I'm miserable. I'm, no, yeah. surviving means that you are actually alive. Because right? that's what the brain that we're dealing with is, it doesn't have cognitive thought. It's not about emotion. It's about keeping you alive. So taking in that I survived. Okay. So allowing your body to physiologically release all those stress hormones, everything that came in to keep you alive, allowing that to slowly pass through. It can feel like energy. It can be twitching. It can be crying. It can be yawning, can be laughing. It can be very numerous responses and kind of discharging and allowing that to go through your system. So that's if you've, if you experience a trauma, if you've already experienced it in our kind of resonating with what we're talking to go, yeah, like I experienced these things. I feel these things. You're really going to be look at resourcing the state. So internally finding settling in your body, sitting on a chair, noticing where the chair is supporting you, your butt, your legs, your back and, and sensing into that. And it's going to be a bit of a fight because the brain is always going to be wanting to pull towards the activation. because that's where it's more comfortable. It's, it's funny as that sounds, what you become used to is, is kind of being <laughs> higher. So it's going to be a bit of a fight, but noticing yeah. that settling and sitting with that discomfort, noticing your breath. So with Googling some grounding techniques and being able to use that when you feel your chest getting tight or your muscles are tight or you're having negative thoughts, right? Because every thought has a sensation and vice versa. So if you're having negative thoughts, that tells yeah. us there's kind of something icky going on inside. So it's not about the why, mm. it's the how. Most part, we know why, why we're stressed or why this is going on. We don't need to kind of go down that rabbit hole, but how, how do I deal with this? Come back to the moment, doing grounding techniques, if you're finding it too uncomfortable to be in your body, move out of your body. Go do something that is mm-hmm. is distracting, is another way for saying resource. So maybe it's cooking, maybe it's cleaning, maybe it's cross-stitching, maybe it's art, maybe it's sewing, maybe it's running. You know, dirt therapy is, is a thing. Going out and, and connecting with mother nature, going yeah. out and doing these things. So really it's about recognizing the response, validating that it's there and doing something to help yourself come down and help take away those symptoms. And it's doing it over and over and over and over again. But some of the biggest thing is if, you know, if you're experiencing that level, such high level of trauma that you're not able to do it, please get help with it. But if this is yeah. something that you manage these responses, it's having empathy for yourself, really slow and validating your emotion, not saying it's okay. It's okay. Because you're kind of, the, you're telling a brain that it's okay when the brain's like, no, it's not right. And, and acknowledging mm-hmm. it, right. I kind of look at them like toddlers, like what happens when your two-year-old sitting there going, mom, 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 and you ignore him, he gets louder and more persistent. What happens when you acknowledge him? He's like, hey, look at my truck. And then they're good to go. Kind of like emotions. <laughs> acknowledge <laughs> it and, and sit with it. And most times it will it will pass. And part of the, the biggest thing is, is getting comfortable with the discomfort. So you can't get comfortable with it until you sit with it. So sometimes it is just about sitting in that ickiness and allowing your body to do what it needs to do to let that pass through and, and honor that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sure is, you know, <laughs> it sure is a lot of work, you know, to, 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 
to do this, but um, I know for me personally, like this, this type of work, uh, it's, it changed my whole life because not only just the awareness, but just um, how much you can truly, truly let go of things and get them out of your system and not have, you know, it's crazy to get into a situation again that you used to have a full on panic attack and you feel mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't feel that anymore. You just kind of have these calm thoughts about it or you can just see it for how it is. It truly, yeah, it's uh, pretty it's powerful. Mesmerizing. It is. Yeah. Right. And, and knowing that this is hard work and it does take time and patience and empathy with yourself um, yeah. and that you're worth it. Right. And, and every time you make a little difference or you choose you, you feed the system that you're worth it. And sometimes this can be a really hard one because if we make it sound so simple, but it's, it's, it's not right. And a lot of people don't even know what they need, want, or desire because they weren't, they, those needs weren't filled as a child. They weren't allowed to explore those. And so sometimes it's hard to find those resources and, and know what it feels like to connect with joy or, or what does it feel like to not have anxiety all the time? Or, or what is this emotion? And a lot of the time, any experience or emotion will just present as activation or anxiety, right? And they all feel like threat, even though they're positive. And it, it can be very yes. confusing. And this is where the body goes into dissociation. So it, it's such a complex system that we're working with. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's not as simple as like, oh, just feel it and, and ground yourself and you'll be good to go. There, there's so much more to it. And, and truly getting support around it is, is the best thing. You, you need a village, right? For, just for raising a baby, but for yourself too. Everyone needs their people. And that can be so therapeutic, whether it's a therapist or a psychologist or our friend or whatever that might be. Having that support and having someone to to listen and, and hold space for you can be so powerful in itself. Yeah. Wow. Well, I wanted to just quickly touch on one more little thing that has to do with um, a lot of what we we're talking about, because it, it was so relevant to me and you kind of brought this to my attention. Um, the, the childhood like ADHD diagnosis, like we seem to be having like such a rise in, in diagnosing. Um, and as someone that got diagnosed a, as a child with it and was heavily, heavily medicated for a lot of my life, um, you kind of helped me change this perspective of like, maybe I didn't have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that wasn't what it was. Um, yeah. Could you talk a little bit more yeah. about that? So I, I do want to preface it by saying that I do believe ADHD is a thing. Yeah. Right? That there is, <laughs> yeah. there is some people that have this. It's not all like, oh, they're all just, you know, you know, misdiagnosed. I do believe that there is some misdiagnoses out there due to the symptomology being so similar to a dysregulated nervous system. So as we kind of yeah. talked about before, when you go into a trauma response, that prefrontal cortex or that, that front area of the brain where you form memories and cognitive thought and logic and organization, all those type of things shuts down. So if you think about a child that has gone through trauma, whether it's intentional, unintentional, living in a household where maybe parents aren't getting along or they're just high anxiety themselves or they're not able to attune to the child, there's there's so many different things it could be. But if you look at that and that there's this kind of prolonged piling up of things that happen, and then you're sending this mm-hmm. child to school, it has no tools to regulate, doesn't know how to self-soothe just because the parents don't know it, or right? it's completely innocent. Yeah. Um, they're sitting in the classroom and, and they're moving, right? Because moving yeah. helps override the nervous system, right? It feels better. It's a soothing, right? You see somebody shaking their leg or, or picking or yeah. doing their fingers because they're trying to regulate. They're not really sure what's going on, but they know that this feels better. It's because the brain's putting energy into that movement. So you see this little kid moving around, talking because they don't have that impulse control, which is not formed in the brain, but they have that extra activation, right? So it's even harder for them to control that impulse. But also 
the brain is so focused on keeping them alive. They're kind of like, Johnny, I don't really give a crap what one plus one is. I'm too busy trying to keep you alive back here. So that energy is, is really put back into that reptilian brain trying to keep them safe. So the symptomology with ADHD is very similar to a dysregulated nervous system. And this is why you see sometimes kids getting misdiagnosed and they just can't get the medication right. Or they become like zombies or they become even more stimulated, right? You can kind of have one end of the spectrum to the other of results with meds because sometimes you're just actually not dealing with ADHD. You're dealing with a dysregulated nervous system. So fascinating. Yeah. Because exactly like, um, uh, yeah, I know in, in for me too, even just, yeah, when you're dysregulated, <laughs> I'm so much more like all over the place just from experience, yeah. like from this to that, because I'm trying to find something to help me feel better. Um, yeah, you're trying to self soothe. It's, it's fascinating. Well, and, yes, and thinking about yeah. it as an adult. Um, and a lot of like, yeah. Right, like how many- I was just going to say even a lot like addiction and, and yes, stuff comes exactly. into play too, because exactly. you're trying to that's going to help you. Yeah. And that's how addiction yeah. starts so easily is it's just, there's this inside, you don't even know how to describe it. And sometimes you're not even consciously aware of it because you're so dissociated. You're in a freeze state or you're constantly in that fight, fight, freeze, wanting to fight or, or run. Or, and then you see these, the symptomology that comes with it. But, you know, looking at that's how things happen easily. Cause you just want anything to take it away. Right. Anything yeah. that takes the pain away. And then this is how these unhealthy coping mechanisms start is because if I just do this one more drink, or you can even be running, it can be controlling it with food. There can be so many things that we use as humans to try and self-soothe and make these feelings go away. But if you look at it as adults, we struggle. How can we expect a little child to be able to do it where they don't have the cognitive thought, they don't have the life experience. They don't have any of these tools. No one is in their world is able to teach it to them. So they're labeled as these bad kids or behavioral issues or oppositional defiant disorder. And again, I do believe these things happen, but I do believe this misdiagnosis has a dysregulated nervous Mm -hmm. system and just not recognizing it and not having the skills to be able to teach these kids how to regulate. And this is how it presents. So how do do you, what do you, what would be your advice to um, like any um, parents out there that are are possibly struggling with something like this? to, to know what the difference is. Um, and, and I mean, I guess it's about getting the right support, getting the right yeah. help from, you know, yeah. but, um, is there anything, um, that, yeah, that, that would help well, them? Oh, well, I would say first look at them. Yeah. Right? Because there's so, there's so many parenting groups out there. That's about what can you do different with your kids? Yeah. And really at yeah. the end of the day, it's the parents, right? Which is, such a blow and nobody wants to hear i actually just created a group um anyone who's listening is is able to join if you're part of mamas for mamas um it's called the well-rounded parent and what we're looking at is a trauma-informed practice and it's teaching them the stuff that we're talking about today but teaching them how to ground teaching them Mm self-care teaching them that these kids their your little your nuggets are like mirrors of you so if you know they're having a hard time or giving you a hard time it's because they're having a hard time and you probably are too right? Kids' behaviors are an indication of something uncomfortable going on inside. So first I would say to parents, what are you doing? What's going on for you? When was the last time you got a break? When was the last time you did something for you? How is your stress levels? Most of the time I haven't had a break forever. I'm stressed out. We don't have this. But it's, you know, so the environment, the kid's system is picking up on that and interpreting as this threat. Because if mom's stressed out, well, what's the threat? What's, What's going on? What's happening here? And they're not really sure what to do with it. So I always say to the parents, you know, looking at themselves first, but also helping the kids to just regulate, holding space for their emotions, not shaming them or getting mad at them, 
right? Some emotions are big and they can be overwhelming, but kids have emotions and holding space for it, allowing them to let that go through their system. Um, looking at repair work, still discipline your children. There's such thing as healthy shame, discipline, boundaries, all these things need to happen, but it's about how you do it. What's your tonage? Are you shaming them? Or are you holding space for their emotion? Are you having a conversation with them after? Are you letting them know what's acceptable, what's not? What boundaries are you putting in place? Are you putting out your expectations properly? Are you doing the repair work after? So say little Johnny spills the tomatoes all over the kitchen. Well, they're going to say something like, what are you doing? You can't just take the whole basket of tomatoes and jump it all over the kitchen. Right? And you can see that shame response of like, oh, I'm in trouble. Well, come pick them up. Right? What's the consequence? Well, you have to come pick them up. Right. And, yeah, and after you've done that and explained, yeah. you know, we don't throw tomatoes all over the kitchen floor. Right. But come in, you know, mommy still loves you because kids yeah. will yeah. Right, when they feel that shame, judgment and criticism. They assume they've done something wrong. So so doing that repair work. So being very clear about your expectations, boundaries, follow through. Kids thrive in structure, routine, setting them up for transition because transition is hard, giving them warning and just holding space for the emotions. We are all human. We're supposed to have feelings. And as adults, we're allowed to get angry. We're allowed to have road rage or yell or or freak out or or cry, but kids, it's, they get in trouble for it. They're allowed Mm -hmm. to have feelings, holding space for that. Teaching them, go into your room. It's okay that you're upset or I can see you're frustrated. Help labeling it for them so they understand it. Oh, this experience. Oh, this means I'm frustrated. Oh, I'm angry. Showing them a safe space where they can go and allow themselves to have that emotions. Don't get mad at them for having it. Providing that safe space so they can have that conversation after. Right. And, and so really looking at what are those, those clear boundaries and expectations and repair work. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so true. And I, I read something the other day that said like children are entitled to immature reactions to things. And yes. I was like, oh yeah, because yeah. they're children. Yeah, <laughs> they're they are. Immature and dramatic and as ridiculous as possible because yes, they're still learning. Um, yes. But- and it feels that big to them. Right. Like yeah. that is their experience. Yeah. And how can you fault them and, and shame them for that? That's their experience. Right. And some kids feel things, yeah, feel things feel. bigger than others. Right. And yeah. sometimes it comes down to resilience in the system. Sometimes there's nothing that anybody's done. They just have, they just have less capacity to, to regulate through that. Right. It's, it's not about what's right and wrong. It's about how can we help them? How can we teach them? And what can we do to, to give them those self-soothing techniques and, and regulate those little systems for them? And a lot of it is, is showing that it's okay to have emotions in front of your kids. It's okay to have time away from your kids. It's okay to do self-care. It's okay to choose you, right? So modeling these behaviors and just being attuned when they come to show you a piece of paper of a, of, you know, scribbles, right? That gleam in the eyes is so important, right? So taking that time to be, when you're with them, be with them. And it's okay to do your own things, but, but setting those boundaries. And when they come to engage, engage back. Absolutely. Um, and I know too, like a lot of parents sometimes feel like I've heard this a lot, like it's just, it's too late. My kid is too, uh, you know, too messed up or too far off the, you know, like I, there's no going back. And I was thinking about it and I was like, well, you know what, even at the age that I met, if my parent like improved themselves in some way, that would still be amazing and help me. It would make yes. a huge difference in my yes. life. So it's literally never yeah, too late. it's never too late and we are biologically wired to just have this pull towards our caregivers so it doesn't matter what age if you're making you're still spending time with your your family and there can be repair work and you know what unfortunately sometimes the damage is done and people just can't come back from that and that's okay too right people are allowed to have their boundaries and that's the thing is yeah. that yes you can do the work you can't expect the results because you can't control other people but 
you're always going to have an impact on the people around you. And if your children are still involved in your life, it doesn't matter what age, it's still going to have an impact. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's, yeah, that's so amazing. It's never too late. And our bodies are so adaptable, right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, creating those new, new neural pathways. For sure. Um, yeah. That, that almost feels pretty good. I um, feel like we covered so much. Um, I feel like I already asked you this, but I was going to end on, um, you know, um, sort of, I guess we kind of already asked your advice, but I'm just thinking if there's, there's anything else out there that you feel like, um, people need to know when to reach out, like when enough is enough, like how, what would be your advice that now is time to, to probably get some support? So it's, it's such, I think it's a tough one to answer because I think everybody yeah. should have mental health support, right? We do everything else Ooh, for, our, for our bodies. And, <laughs> so, um, but I think, you know, reaching out to the, the local resources, learning about it, listening to your body, you know, changing that concept of wellness, meeting your basic human needs. But I think it comes to the point that it's okay to not be okay. And mm -hmm. if you feel like it's, it's never ending, you're living in the past. You're always living in the future. You can't seem to get those, the bees out of your tummy or you're just can't seem to function. You can't remember. It's okay to ask for help. And, yeah. and that that's the time that I think that it's different for everybody. And I know that's so easy for me to say is in our, our, our system, particularly in our community, but I think Canada in general is not great for mental health. It's, it's not cheap. There's the wait lists are forever to, to get support. So, no. you know, yeah. the, right. The biggest thing is seeing if you can help to, to mitigate those things for the kids and taking it slowly, but surely making sure those basic human needs are met and not comparing yourself to previous people or not previous people, but previous self, right? Because Lisa mm -hmm. from 10 years ago is not gonna be able to do what Lisa can do now. And no, the, the expectation yeah. is, well, you should be able to do this. Yeah, but that was, that was used to what's going on now. So readjusting your expectations to what is going on in your world right now, mm -hmm. writing things down, it is the best tool you can have is to write things down okay and break it down and slice it smaller until it feels manageable and just one step at a time and going through it celebrating the little wins because it's all about the little wins because you can't humans just can't do 180s i'm sure we've all tried it right there are new year's resolutions i'm gonna diet and exercise and two weeks later yeah. we stop because it's unsustainable yeah so it's slow and steady celebrating the little wins when they happen holding empathy for when they don't not judging yourself knowing any little change to procedure, you start to rewire those pathways. Um, and, and we, and figuring out like what brings you joy, what makes you happy and, and going for it, knowing that you're worth it. It's okay to take time for yourself. Self-care is important. And that's such a taboo subject, but what it is, what it, what it means to you, it's not about going to the spa or all these yeah. types of, what is self-care to you? What makes you feel good? What makes you feel relaxed? And how can you get to that piece? Ooh. It's okay to ask for help it's okay to not be okay. And you're not supposed to be able to do it all by yourself. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I love all that. I, um, I've been saying this new saying lately. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not just writing a new chapter right now. I'm writing a whole new book. <laughs> like, I love it. It's pretty, <laughs> you, you, uh, I'm at that point now where it's like, okay, we can close that one. Yeah. And we can just start, start something new, start a different story. So for sure. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for, for all that information. I feel like, again, like I said before, I feel like we could just talk for like 
three hours. There's so much to talk about with this stuff, but there is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you thank so you much for, for having me. me. I love being able yeah. to, to talk about it and provide that because sometimes it's just about having an understanding and mm -hmm. normalizing it because these responses are normal. And sometimes when you know it, you're able to use that cognitive brain and going, okay, I'm having a trauma response or it's a stress response or I'm activated and you can help contain it. And knowing that you're not alone, your perception and you may experience it different, but you know, we all experience this as humans because life is hard. It's, you know, it really is up and down and it's yeah. about embracing those moments of joy and holding space for the downs. And when we can feel that contentment, but it's always going to be and up and down. There's always going to be stress. You know, this idea of complete contentment, I don't think is achievable. So, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with you. Like that's something I've had to learn so, so strongly is that there's nothing wrong with me. You know, if I'm being ridiculous and I'm having the most angry reaction, there's, it's not because I'm broken or there's something wrong, you know, and having mm -hmm. compassion for myself, but that's just where I am. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes, what I feel right now. Yes. Be your <laughs> biggest cheerleader. There's enough judgment, shame, and criticism out there. You don't need to do it to yourself. No, absolutely not. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah. And I will put, I'm going to put your information in the show notes too. Thank you. Greatly yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we can, yeah, you can stop the recording if you want. <laughs>